liberty lockdown please scan your barcode your liberty ain't gone but yeah it's on hold where did it come from and where did it go it requires a fight not tweeting from your phone don't need a king get him off the fucking throne if you're riding with the thought you've always got a home the virus is scared of will come and it'll go the government knows this don't get treated like a hoe Today I had on an author and professor of finance at USC Marshall. That's their uh, their business school. Brilliant guy. I'll, you'll get all the details once the show starts, as well as uh, a man who has probably read more about Bitcoin than any human being on earth. <laughs> and, I, and I sincerely believe that. Uh, so these two combined, I, I thought would be an incredible force to try and answer the question that I've been trying to, to deliver to you. Uh, why, or better yet, how are we to have financial sovereignty and be able to move forward in this movement, uh, fighting for liberty without jeopardizing our financial safety? I mean, obviously we're going to jeopardize a lot uh, moving forward, but I think that this is a key question that must be answered if we are to have any hope of prevailing. And fortunately, these guys do have some good answers and good Lord, do they have the expertise to talk about it. So please take your time, process this one. They, they lay a lot, a lot out there, uh, but I think if you utilize some of the, the tools that they offer, you can put yourself in a position to be a leader in this movement, not just uh, an onlooker. Enjoy the episode. This episode is brought to you by The Daily Job Hunt, which is our friends over at crash.co forward slash daily. The Daily Job Hunt is a once daily newsletter that hits your inbox every morning, gives you some information on how to be a better job applicant, whether it be uh, video resumes or all sorts of the latest, newest technology and tactics, tips on how to get the job of your dreams or to start the business of your dreams. This is all part of financial sovereignty. So this sponsor works perfectly for this episode because if you are interested in putting yourself in this position to weather whatever comes, uh, this is key. Go to crash.co forward slash daily to sign up for the daily job hunt. Welcome everybody to another special episode of Liberty Lockdown. Today I have on two brilliant guests. I am thrilled to welcome back Guy Swan, host of uh, Bitcoin Audible as well as Shitcoin Insider. Welcome in, Guy. What's up, man? And then a, a new guest, and I think this is going to be taking us to another level here. We got Nick Batia. He is a professor at USC Marshall and author of Layered Money. Thank you for coming in, Nick. Thanks for uh, having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you guys for the time. Um, so the <clears throat> the reason I was compelled to to put this panel together and uh, RIP to Robbie the Fire, the HIV got him. It's 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 been a long time coming. So. Uh, I, apologies to everybody who had said that he was going to be on. He is on the road. You know, he's a comedian, so he's got to handle his actual business and couldn't do this today. But uh, so the reason I, I wanted to put together this panel is because I was so floored by what we saw in Canada uh, with their willingness to freeze peaceful protesters. And I believe that they were peaceful, uh, peaceful protesters, assets, not just peaceful protesters, but also uh, the people that were. Uh, funding them, uh, donating to them. They were willing to go after those people as well, which is uh, something I had never imagined possible. So we'll start with you, Guy. Uh, I, I guess the, my my intention with all this was to to try and find a way 
that my audience can feel comfortable with their financial situation so that they can speak out. Because if they don't feel comfortable with their financial situation, as we saw with the vaccine mandates, that's a very strong uh, driver to get people to do whatever is demanded of them. And, and I think that we're now in a position where protest itself will be chilled if we can't find a way for people to be financially free of these kind of insane totalitarian dictates. So go ahead, Guy. Tell us, tell us if you see it any differently. Am I, am I being melodramatic? Uh, no, no. Um, I think the the risk is increasingly right in front of us. You know, I, I think there's so many people who never saw Canada as being kind of like the crux of where this light switch was going to be pulled, you know, um, that like of all places to think that like they were going to over a protest, over a protest with a bunch of bouncy castles and they were singing outside and he institutes or he he uh, implements the Emergencies Act, which the last time it was done, it was assassination for a political leader. And he he, he implemented the Emergencies Act to basically just bypass any and all due process, any rights, any 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 even context of following a legal framework for attacking people for essentially blocking them, imprisoning them in their own life, in their own situation by just freezing accounts. And the, like, just in the context of like, what is the solution? The solution is to not be submissive, is, is not, is to be not dependent on someone else. That your funds are not only yours because of somebody else's promise, because they will go to them and they will say, revoke your promise. And that's what it is when you have Bitcoin on exchange, when you have dollars in a bank account, when you have uh, Canadian dollars in a Canadian bank, like wherever it is, if you have funds in a financial institution, particularly a large centralized one that has millions and millions of customers, well, Canada is just going to say this, look how easy this is. Like, you know, it takes two days and barely any sort of a fight whatsoever to just make the law and all due process just vanish. And then we're just gonna in mass block a whole bunch, just, just shut down the financial life of a whole bunch of people that we perceive have the wrong opinion or have donated to the wrong people. Um, and it, and it, it doesn't even have to have, there doesn't have to be any violence connected to it. It could just be the idea that, oh, they're obviously going to be violent. Uh, we can, here we are predicting the future of some horrible event and thus like it's, it's the idiocy of precog. It's the idea that they can know who the next criminal is going to be because of their opinion and that we're just going to destroy the life of that future criminal. Um, and if you're subservient to somebody else, if you're dependent on somebody else for your finances or for the ownership of what you own, then you don't own anything. Then you are just a consequence of what they deem is yours. Um, and this is why... This is the whole not your keys not your coins this is this is the absolute first and top motto meme whatever you want to call it of bitcoin is if you are not holding it it doesn't matter it's just it might as well be dollars in a bank account um because it's not yours it's just somebody else's promise um and uh what ends up happening is the dynamic changes obviously there's always 
a whole number of trade-offs. You know, it's not as if there's perfect privacy on Bitcoin. In fact, arguably, uh, you know, the opposite. You know, if if you were using it from an exchange, it's very easy to see that you haven't moved the funds or how much you have associated with that wallet. You know, um, because it's all public. Uh, but when you actually own it. And they can't just go to your bank and then freeze you and everybody you're related to and everybody else who donated to the cause and everybody else who ever showed up at the trucker convoy protest. They can't just in mass lock everybody's account down. They have to go to you and get the keys directly from you. It changes the scale of their control. It shrinks it down to the individual. And of course they can still come attack you. They can still you know, beat you over the head until you give up your keys. You know, the $5 wrench attack is always there. But at the end of the day, you have options if you actually own it. If you don't own it, you got no options. You got no path. And if they don't grant you due process, you don't get due process. There is no way for you to make sure you have it. Now, if the if I was in Canada and the Canadian government came after me, I don't think they would really get much of anything. They'd probably get a couple of mobile wallets or something. Um, but anything that would even be at risk, I would be able to, or I could direct somebody that I know to be able to sweep those funds into a better location before they would ever have access to it. But I might, it might not even be an issue. Like if you use multi-sig, right? If you use, uh, what are they? BIP 38 pass, pa uh, BIP 38 password wallets or whatever, just like basically if you used your keys properly and you know, your quote unquote attack vectors you can secure yourself very, very well because the system cannot be compromised. It's just a matter of keys. If they don't have the keys, they don't have the coins. Same is, same is true for you. That's a long answer, but. <laughs> <laughs> and as, as we learned with the, the wrench attack aspect of this, when it comes to getting the police to go and enforce this, they don't have that many. I mean, it, it really, like if, if you had all of the people having their own keys and their own coins and, and they were unwilling to uh, give them up, and you had to go person by person trying to to rob them or coerce them. It would into be a pain. Their keys. It'd be a pain. It would be it would be basically <laughs> impossible. I mean, it would make it yeah. much much harder. And I think that's kind of what we're looking to do is to make the tyranny harder to enforce. Nick, mm -hmm. uh, same question for you: Is this have I overstated the concern after what after witnessing this? And uh, and also, if you could add on. Uh, did you did you see this coming? Did you know that they would implement this? So it's it's always now we always have to expect that a government is going to come and restrict or censor opinions that it doesn't like or that it go that go against even the mainstream narrative. We're seeing that with Rogan as well. You know, Rogan isn't trying to um, go against any official government policy himself, but he's still facing these types of uh, censorship battles. So I think I think it should be expected, uh, to be very honest, anybody that's out of it's It's why I try to be careful with the content that I tweet. I don't want to be banned from the platform. It doesn't mean that I don't want to share my thoughts. I do. That's why I have a sub stack and I can write longer form there without worrying about deplatforming and all on all that kind of stuff but yeah just in the same way that anybody with twitter fingers should be worried about deplatforming anybody supporting a cause that uh, goes against a government 
uh, narrative or mandate is, um, you, you know, you need to worry about basically what they're going to, to do to you. We also know that governments and banks are one unit when it comes to regulatory enforcement of the banking system. The banks are regulated by the central bank, which is an arm of the government. And so banks and the government are on the same team when it comes to enforcing these policies. So, and then to go back to what Guy said about not your keys, not your coins, that's really the main takeaway here is that when Bitcoin is allowed to be controlled by you, it's different than dollars, Canadian dollars, US dollars, because the, do the asset that you have is not an issued liability by any party. And so when you have a deposit in your bank account, even though you think of that as your asset, if you had your household balance sheet, your deposits would be on the asset side of your balance sheet. For the bank, your asset is their liability. So they've just issued you that monetary instrument. It's not an asset. It's the opposite of an asset for the bank itself. That should go to show the difference really between what is a bearer money where you can have your own keys and then control your own. It's the same thing as a gold coin. If you have it in your pocket, the only thing that's going to take it away from you is the $5 wrench attack. But if you have a gold certificate, that's as good as nothing when it comes down to censorship and the government, because the government could tell the bank that issued the certificate, do not convert or redeem to XYZ, then have their blacklist, et cetera. So um, I think that you, I think that we should be expecting all of these things to happen. And it reinforces why we need Bitcoin and why uh, people need to understand about custody of the keys, uh, I think, which is one of the biggest challenges we, try to explain Bitcoin to the world and why we need Bitcoin, but then to take it to the next level and explain self-custody and why keys are so important. I think it's a huge challenge, but that doesn't mean it's not important. It's very important. And we have people like Guy that are, you know, out there pounding the table every day on this type of thing and, um, and many more. Yeah. Well, I really think it's everything at this point. And, um, you know, from the libertarian vantage point, it's pretty clear that, that the banks, because they they have access to the fed window the federal government which is essentially presides over the federal reserve even though it's allegedly separate uh <laughs> they they have they have the capacity to to kill these banks and therefore the banks will kill you before they allow themselves to be killed i mean i think that's yeah. a it's a pretty simple calculation and and it's hard to even blame these these businesses if you want to call them businesses i i struggle to do that anymore uh given the fascistic alliance between government and business. But regardless, your your assets being in a bank is it's not yours. It's like it's not your not your keys, not your coin type deal. And and I think that that it's it, I just didn't understand that they would pull this trigger as soon as they did. Like I knew that these tools were there. And and I pointed out a couple of weeks ago that it seemed as if the government itself, globally, governments themselves, uh went to school on this through the war on drugs because they they learned how to 
freeze assets and do all of these things that were essentially uh, ways to cripple these black markets. Uh, and with the this knowledge, they then use the war on terror to extend that capacity into going after political dissidents, people that hadn't been charged. And, and now it has stretched all the way to the point that it's people that support, you know, the minority party in a country. <laughs> it's like, it's yeah. like, it just keeps, keeps extending itself. And I, at this point, I just, I'm, I, I don't even, I don't even know how to like put this other than to say, I am horrified. <laughs> I am absolutely horrified that we have gotten to this point as rapidly as we did. The fact that they're using it for peaceful protesters. I think the only silver lining in this is that they used it too soon. They have now shown their hand and everybody that's paying any attention at all has been startled and woken up very rapidly as to the power and the mechanisms for control that they intend to utilize upon people. So uh, other than, you know, having your own possession, uh, your own keys, your own coins, what what other mechanisms do you guys see in, in fighting this, uh, be that political activism or or litigation what what do you where do you think this goes um i definitely either, think either hop in. i think <laughs> i think there's definitely going to be like litigation and lawsuits about all of this stuff like crazy like the the whole legal structure is does not absolutely does not lean in the favor of the everyday individual um in how it's set up but i think they're basically effectively going to be ddosed in the legal system uh in the sense that there's just going to be so much to handle and i think like on your point about how you can't believe they went this far this fast there's a um what was the article i read an article recently i think it was bitcoin's peaceful revolution um by not over shit I'm, I, don't, I don't remember i read too much stuff um, but uh, I read an article recently on the show talking about the accelerationist sort of idea. Um, and there was a little analogy that he used that really kind of clicked because I've always had this idea that there is some sort of hard to define benefit of accelerating the growth of tyranny. And the, the analogy he used that I thought was really great was the frog in the boiling pot is the reason the frog boils to death is because the temperature never increases too fast such right. that the frog notices that the temperature is increasing that is how tyranny moves it moves it, it pushes just to the edge until people are pissed and then it holds off it waits it lets you get used to it it, it lets it become the norm and then you know you're not so okay i've sorted my life out and now i just have my mask in my car and you know <laughs> i just order from the grocery store you, you know you you work your life around all of the bullshit that they are forcing onto you until it becomes normal and they push a little bit further they wait until it becomes easy till you're exhausted with yelling at them and being mad at them about it and they go a little bit further but the accelerationist view is that, and I think that's where we are in 2020 and 2021, and we are seeing the consequences of that, is that if the, if the boiling goes too, too hot, too fast, the frog notices. The frog wakes up. The frog goes, whoa, it just got hot as shit in here. And I think that's what we're seeing today, is people are realizing like, whoa, 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 whoa. Whoa, you're just, 
just unilaterally just turning off people's funds? What is that? You know, that's why we're having a conversation about Bitcoin and hold your own keys right now. You know, like and why this has suddenly gone on the world stage. You know, no geopolitical discussion is happening right now without someone having to recognize the elephant in the room that there is essentially an exit. There is a way to step out of this. There is a way around all of this now. Um, you know, like for crying out loud, um, Ted Cruz, Ted Cruz read the the nunchuck letter to the Canadian government. Did y'all did y'all see this? Um, so, go, go ahead uh, and tell the, tell the audience about it though. Yeah. So the Canadian government, uh, nunchuck is a, uh, and I think they're open source, um, uh, multi-sig wallet. So it's essentially like, like, let's say the Canadian government or, or the United States government wants to shut down my bank account. Well, I could actually have, we can have like a group of funds right here. That is just a two of three such that Clint has to sign it. Nick has to sign it. Or I, two people of us three have to sign it in order for the funds to move. So they could confiscate all of my keys, all of my computers, all my everything. The funds are still movable and the funds are still safe because Clint and Nick can take charge, sign, do whatever they want to do. And they can remove me from the multi-sig um, to, to make sure that it's not vulnerable going forward. So that's what Nunchuck does. It's a, you know, like the nuclear launch codes everybody has to put in their keys at the same time and uh and turn it well because of that um uh the canadian government apparently traced it back to nunchuck being used by uh, uh nobody caribou and some of these other people involved which i think is just they just posted it on twitter so um they knew and they sent a letter to nunchuck saying a demand saying uh please uh, locate these users uh, freeze their funds and do not allow them to use the wallet or whatever. Uh, and they responded. And like I said, Ted Cruz read this on uh, some CPAC thing. Um, and uh, uh, they said, understand, this is open software. This is free to use software. And we do not know the location of our users' funds. We do not know what funds our users actually put on our wallet. It is free to download. They use it themselves. The only information we can keep, we collect is email addresses for accounts. And we don't know who is in any multi-sig. We cannot freeze any funds. We are not custodians of any sort. This is by design. There is nothing we can do. We can't help you. And then at the end it says, and when the Canadian dollar is worthless, oh, first it says, he says, I, I encourage you to learn about what keys are, how self-custody works and what a <laughs> wallet is. And when the Canadian dollar is worthless, we will be here to help you too. <laughs> so and, good. Uh, I even messaged Hugo who uh, works, for, he's the guy who runs Nunchuck or whatever. And uh, I said, have y'all gotten a response back? He says, nothing yet. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Well, I mean, that's that's really the key is that we we have to have these these tools set up that are decentralized and basically non-custodial, so that you can mm -hmm. you can tell the government to shove it when they try and come after these people. Uh, go ahead and hop in here, Nick. Tell me tell me what you think. <laughs> yeah, I I loved that email. It it really drives home the point that Bitcoin is a separate system. It's it can be non-custodial. It can be custodial too which is what can will confuse a government into thinking that 
they can just exercise their power. If they can convince a Canadian exchange to do their bidding and restrict access, then they think they can, you know, convince a Canadian wallet company. I don't, is Nunchuck Canadian guy? I'm not sure if it's... Uh, uh, Nunchuck is not Canadian, no. Not, not that it even matters, but if there was a Canadian wallet company... It would be no company, different, right? Yeah. <laughs> it, it would be no different. The, the wallet company itself, even if it was a different company, would be structuring their company in a way where they don't have keys, they don't have personal information. You are using their software to generate your own seed. The seed is only shown to you. It's not stored on their server. It's only stored on your phone locally and etc. There's all these um there's all these ways that Bitcoin companies can provide services to people without being a bank to them. And that is, I think, lost on governments. They're slow to understand uh, that very concept. And we have to continue to see companies, builders deliver messages like that back to the government where, you know, we're not a bank, we're a software company, and therefore we have nothing to do with what you're discussing. And it also reminds the government that Bitcoin is a new type of money and technology at the same time. It's not just their traditional idea of balance sheet money, um, which uses the banking system. Yeah, well, I think they're getting that, which is why they're trying to roll up the CBDCs. But uh, so my my concern and, and your point about the the um, the frog in the pot metaphor, the, the ratchet effect is is another mm -hmm. way of phrasing it in that yes it has it has sped up and and they are clamping down more and more aggressively more and more rapidly i think it shows two things i mean first off it shows the people what they're up against and that's important and, and i think that that might encourage the frog to get out of the pot uh it also shows to me and maybe i'm just reading tea leaves or getting too alex jonesy that that perhaps they they sense their power is slipping and perhaps they are now oh for sure they are sprinting towards whatever they view as sustaining their power so whatever sure. whatever mechanisms for control they have to roll out they're going to do it and they realize that they don't have a lot of time because of bitcoin and other asset classes that that may be viewed as competitors to their hegemony you know over uh fiat so yeah is am i reading this correctly is this and and is that is that actually perhaps not a good thing in that we are in an end game where like they can't stop like they can't pull back and give us time to do further development on the blockchains and things like that uh what do you think um i absolutely think that this is far more indicative of desperation on their part um that they are losing grip on the narrative on consensus as to like this really is kind of what's falling apart is the philosophical and cultural consensus of society is spider webbing into a thousand different branches and because of that like that is essentially a lot of the crux of their control is that everybody believes them and everybody only gets their story um you know and even in uh, did you watch uh, or or listen to um the joe rogan episode with majid uh, oh yeah that was phenomenal uh, 
Yes. So he talks about at the end that, um, which if anybody hasn't uh, listened to that, I highly, highly recommend it. Um, at his, least, at not least only it's the last story, hour. And not only is his story is fascinating because it really makes the last hour, like it, it really sets the stage for the last hour. But the last hour, he really talks about kind of the, the price of tomorrow, Jeff Booth sort of thing, the, you know, Brandon Quidham in the fourth turning. And um, uh, what's the book that that's based off of? Nick, do you know the fourth turning book? Who, who did that? Yes, it's the um, uh, it's the de um, the demographics book. Um, I, I get I'll get it for you in a sec. Find it. Find it for me. I don't have the Internet. <laughs> um, uh, so um, good thing we have a college professor but, here to help us out. Yeah, he's a fact checker. Um, uh, it's so, by how Neil Howe. And it Jamie. is called the fourth turning. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, it is. It is just the fourth turning. Okay, yeah. Yeah, by Neil um, Howe. Neil Howe. Okay, uh, but it's it's a really great theory on like how cultural and societal shifts happen and how they happen in cycles because of the how the generation grows up and the conditions that the generation grows up in. So I'm sure you've heard the quote or the essentially the the dumbed down meme of this model is that. Um, uh, uh, good or strong men create good times good times create weak men weak men create uh bad times bad times create strong men and the cycle continues this is kind of the model and it works it's like this idea that this occurs in like this 80 to 100 year time frame and we always have these recurring crises and huge kind of uh identity crises of society itself and we undergo these massive shifts the world wars um and really kind of following World War II, this is where we are. I think we're going through another massive shift, but I think ultimately the the real underlying cause of this is the internet, is the fact that we have decentralized communication. And even, and you know, everybody talks about how much censorship, censorship is on platforms and, you know, Facebook censors and controls algorithms. I still think we're looking at a problem that is orders of magnitude harder for them and easier for us then you go back 40 years 1980s there were three television channels the cia just had to had, a, had to em employ a couple of people in those television channels and then it's the narrative uh that it's just whatever propaganda that they push out and the, you don't get exposed to any idea any other like al alternative the ease with which you can find an alternative explanation the speed with which that alternative inf information can spread is fundamentally sucking their power away. Um, it is no coincidence that Joe Rogan, who does three hour podcasts on every damn thing in the world, just for the sake of exploring an idea has more viewers than any cable television show. And like, it's also it guy, it's not a coincidence that the Bitcoin total market value is at a trillion dollars they're mm -hmm. actually the same thing because if we didn't have open communication and the ability to rapidly spread information like you described people wouldn't know about bitcoin at the rate that they do the latest yep. estimates <laughs> estimates are 200 million uh people on the planet with some sort of crypto exposure or account um mm -hmm. you know we're getting to the point where you're going to be at 10% of the global population within a few years. And 
you know, 5% of the global population, maybe in the next one to two years. Are you tired of feeling like someone's always watching you on the internet? Maybe advertisers know a bit too much about you, or you're concerned about the privacy of your identity. Using incognito mode won't solve the problem either. IP Vanish VPN is here to protect your right to privacy and help you stay anonymous online. IP Vanish helps you safely browse the internet without exposing your private details to third parties such as hackers, your ISP, or advertisers. You can use IP Vanish on unlimited devices without sacrificing on speed, your computer, tablets, phones, even devices like your Fire Stick when you're streaming media. Whether I'm at home or in public, I don't go online anymore without using IP Vanish. It's true, I don't. IP Vanish is offering an incredible 70% off their yearly plan for our listeners with a 30-day money-back guarantee. That's just like getting nine months for free. That's a hell of a deal. IP Vanish is super easy to use. All you have to do is tap one button and you're instantly protected. You won't even know it's on. Stop sharing with the, with the world everything you watch, everything you search for, and everything you buy because I know you guys are searching for crazy stuff and you don't want people knowing that. Take your privacy back today with a brand rated 4.6 out of 5 on Trustpilot. So go to ipvanish.com forward slash Clint and use the promotional code CLINT, C-L-I-N-T, that's me, and claim your 70% savings today. Again, that's I-P-V-A-N-I-S-H dot com forward slash CLINT. Let's get back into the show. That and is a, that's a rapid ascent of a, a brand new money. And of course, it's an internet base. So it's just going off of your point that it's it's all because of the internet. Um, that we're able to get these messages out and challenge the narrative and speak for ourselves and share. I know I talked about Twitter fingers, but we do have the ability to communicate with each other. Even if companies in between are trying to prevent it, it still eventually gets through to the people that want it. Um, the censorship yeah. prevents it from getting to the next few billion, um, which is our own, which is its own challenge. But uh, we do have the tools today to communicate effectively uh, the messages that are like pro-human and pro-family and pro-people and um, not necessarily pro-bureaucracy, which, uh, you know, a bureaucracy is a man-made uh, uh, structure. Right. Yeah. Why, why is it that these businesses, uh, is it simply the, the connection between the enforcement arm of the state uh, via the IRS and, and the lawmakers writing laws that are favorable to them in terms of taxes and things like that? Because uh, to me, it's, it's never made sense that these big tech giants are willing to basically create their competition because what they're doing is while they try and crush their competition, they're also creating it. Because if you ban all of Trump's supporters, including the president of the United States, you're going to have a lot of people that go, well, we're not going to use your product anymore. And and they're going to find a place where they feel as if they can now speak again. And, and that's what you're witnessing is there's all these new startups that are happening. And I think most of them are dog shit, but that's besides the point. They they are losing market share. And, and it, it seems self-defeating. So if I was one of these businesses, I would just say, well, I'm not going to censor at the best of the government because I realize that this is ultimately relegating me to the dustbin of history. I will be 
you know, blockbuster video as Netflix comes along. Like, why the fuck would I do that to myself? Is that a, a ridiculous analogy? Like, well, is there's, there, is, yeah, go ahead. There's money in woke culture. It's something that, um, you know, it's a, it's a common, I think it's a commonly understood theme that companies are going along with the woke narrative, whatever they feel that they have to do to appease the masses. And so, you know, they're <clears throat> going to continue to do that. I saw that EA Sports today is going to remove the Russian football team and the football clubs oh, within Jesus Russia Christ. from from <laughs> FIFA. And so Jesus Christ. The gov no government Idiot posturing. Made, <laughs> no government made electronic arts do that, right? And yeah. I I don't think that any um you know, you, you mentioned fascism, we mentioned, you know, we talk about cronyism, we talk about political ideology. I don't think electronic arts has anything to do with any one or two governments. I know FIFA, they have loyal European football fans that, you know, but that's a decision that a company is making by itself. In, in the new woke era, it it might be concerned about what Brussels is going to say or the FIFA bodies that are linked up with the European governments. So there it's, it's a, a cultural defense virus. It's a cultural, it's exactly, it's a cultural virus. It is something that they feel that they have to do to stay in good favor with their consumers. And if they lose 5% of consumers, but make you know 80% of them really extra loyal to you to buy next year's FIFA, then it's a victory for them because it doesn't affect their balance sheet in a, in a material way <clears throat> to the downside and all that. So it's just, you know, this is the, the, the world that we live in. It's uh, the woke culture is, um, you know, rippling through companies, countries, media outlets, and uh, it's moving people around too in the economy. Like it's moving people from Twitter to other platforms if that's where they feel more comfortable. Um, it was part of the reason I started a Substack publication because I wanted to be able to speak more freely and not just have to worry about what I'm, you know, what the hell I'm saying out there. So it is moving people around and it's also moving people from banks to Bitcoin. And so, let yeah. them let them have their culture, um, cultural biases, and um, spread their message. And then I think Bitcoiners and people that are advocates for their own cause, whatever it is, completely sure. aside from politics, whatever your cause is, you can express that on the internet now um, and and gain a following. Well, I, I think you're you're right to an extent and, and certainly largely correct that these businesses are not doing it at the behest directly of the government. However, uh, I've been extremely red pilled by James Lindsay, who I had on my show a couple of months ago. And then I spent a ton of time uh, researching the World Economic Forum and ESG, which is environmental, social and governance. And and essentially, you know, BlackRock, Larry Fink, how they are essentially using a stranglehold of finance on these businesses. So like, if you don't have a high enough ES score, you can't get funding from some of these big boys that ultimately run trillions and trillions of dollars. I mean, uh, BlackRock it's, uh, alone is 10 trillion. So is that, uh, is that overstated that, that concern about, about 
because it seems to me as if that they really are using it to to implement their worldview when it comes to uh, you know the Green New Deal and all this other stuff. I think it's I think there's two other factors. Like I think Nick is absolutely right in the relationship or uh, how that essentially incentivizes certain decisions. Um, and then there is also the particularly in the in the context of the platforms like Google, uh, Twitter, Facebook, like all of these things that have this huge lock in and they are networks specifically is that the network effect grants them a lot of power and once they once they have all of this lock-in and and just for i mean everybody knows what the network effect is but it's the idea that the network is more valuable the more people are on it therefore even if you can free speech with a group of ten thousand users maybe none of your friends are on it so what's the value you know what's the value of adopting a phone if you can't call the people you want to call you know, mm -hmm. if it's a network, they they feel they have this lock-in, and they do. There is this degree of lock-in where it's hard to leave a social network, particularly if you have a big following or uh, a plat like you're you're a big part of that platform. Look, look at all so, three of us on Twitter today. I mean, we all hate go. it. And I we're know. All there, I so. know it censors. I talk bad about it all the damn time. But I <laughs> exactly. go over and I say on Twitter, Twitter's bullshit. They censor stuff <laughs> on Twitter so that everybody hears me. Um, me too. And Twitter so, uh, doesn't censor it. They they still and let you say doesn't it. Doesn't censor yeah. that yet. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> yet. Um, but I'm I'm completely assuming that one day I'm just getting canned on this. Thing. I'm just getting chopped Me off. Me too. Uh, but um, uh, so there is there is also that at play. But I also think you're right. Is that the money is such a huge part of this because the I understand a lot of where money comes from now. When you define money as debt and money can be issued as new debt in the economy and you get to decide who is credit worthy and credit is everything that matters because that's the that's where the funds are. Suddenly you have an ungodly amount of power over who you can like they downgraded El Salvador. El Salvador had a 10.3% increase in GDP last year and they got <laughs> downgraded because of their Bitcoin gamble. Like like that is not that, that is a political reason to downgrade somebody's credit not based on any data not based on the evidence that says exact the exact opposite that their position is better and that they have grown more so when you have control of the money and when you can define what money is and you can manipulate it it means that you can command all the resources you can command who gets them and in a in a free market economy, in an economy with sound money where someone actually has to trade with you, the only people you respond to are your customers because they're the only places that you can grow your revenue. They're the only places in, at which you can get new resources. But when you can print money out of thin air, you can take everybody's resources. Right. Resources you're, are yours. You're all you only, need to do is, all you need to do is buddy up to the guy with the printing machine. Exactly. And that's where we are. People are not people have stopped playing the game of producing things for the economy and they have started playing the refs. They have started playing the people who can decide this isn't really a goal. This one doesn't count. Oh, this team gets to start out with 12 points because they're the credit worthy team. They're the team that they always win. Therefore, we're just going to go ahead and give them 12 points because our points are better invested in this in this team. And suddenly the game is bullshit. The game is arbitrary. Everybody's just working their asses off on the field while the winning team is just up there, you know, giving drinks and uh, hors d'oeuvres to the refs. And nobody's even watching the game anymore. Everybody's just playing the fucking referees. Um, 
And that is where we are. And it is fundamentally a result of the money. And it gives them all of their power. It, it, is, it gives them the funding that buys them the mercenaries that go and commit all the $5 wrench attacks. Um, and when you fundamentally change the nature of the funds, the nature of how those resources are allocated by using money that they cannot cheat, you start to, you, you, you destroy their economies of scale of power. Like that's what it is, is that the additional political power is granting them money that they never earned. But when you take power out, when you take power out of the money, sure, they can still have political power. Sure, they can still have influence, but it doesn't just mean that they have $100 billion that they can just print out of thin air. They still have to go find it somewhere. They still have right. to physically take it from somebody. And that so subtly, but so fundamentally alters our relationship with political power. I think it is going to make the printing press look like a warm-up. Like where we, how much society changed, I think we are, we are just barreling into the fourth turning, uh, like on a freaking freight train that nobody really has any control of. The people who are currently in power are desperate to maintain it and desperate to make sure that the system that replaces it, they are still a part of. And nobody, nobody has control. Nobody's on the steering wheel. There is no steering, steering wheel. It's been ripped out of the machine. And we're just, we're just going as fast as we can in this direction. And we're all desperately scrambling to make sure that we're not left behind in this. And I think ultimately Bitcoin and the internet and decentralized communication. And I also think in the next year or two, some of the biggest things that are going to unfold is a decentralized following. I think social media, there's going to be an underlying protocol for social media where if somebody has 100,000 followers on Twitter, that they can go to a new location and those followers are still attached to them, are still connected we need that to them. So desperately, it's hap There are there are teams on top of teams on top of teams building it, and there are proposals on top of like everybody is aware of how critical that tool is. And I think really the biggest the biggest challenge is to get a public private key in the hands of every user. Mm. And big, that is what Bitcoin is. That is that is what crypto is. It is putting public private keys in the hands of every user. So as soon as you have that, the things that you can then do with it, with that tool, um, I think I, the one I'm most excited about right now is uh, Synonym, uh, Synonym.to. Uh, you should check that out. Um, but there's so many of them. It, it doesn't even matter. We're gonna we're gonna do what the free market does. Is we're gonna throw a billion darts at the wall, and one of them <laughs> is gonna stick. And then the network effect and the adoption, that one's gonna become the standard. And we're going to have another, another order of magnitude improvement. There will still be censorship. There will still be privacy concerns and they'll still be able to you know, find people, but we will move, the, we will move up the ladder. We will, we will cause more trouble and more difficulty for their power faster, I think, than they can implement and cement the systems that they want. Um, and I think that's what we're already seeing. Um, and it's why they're so desperate to build this stuff out and implement digital IDs uh, and vaccine passports as fast as possible because they know they're losing time. Um, but I guess it's our obligation to adopt Bitcoin, to learn, out, learn what the freaking public private key is and encrypt a thing, you know, like all we have to do is use the tools. Right. Like the, most of them are already here. Just learn them. Yeah. That, that's all we got. We but, do that. But learn, but learn rapidly, folks. Learn rapidly. <laughs> learn, 
quickly, quickly. <laughs> well, and, and your point about how it's no longer about uh, providing value to your customer. It's about, you know, getting the money from the central bank. And, and that is essentially your only customer. You just have to appeal to them. Uh, this is, this is a, not a historical anomaly. I mean, this is, this is what essentially happens with any late stage fascistic, uh, socialist, communist, any sort of totalitarian regime, it, it does. It didn't always take this exact same form, but essentially, you would have cronyism, where you would have whoever's tied to that that position of power uh, become becomes extraordinarily wealthy and powerful, and everybody else suffers. And I feel like that's we're. I don't know if I would say we're at late stage of that, but we're definitely on that track and and rapidly sprinting down it. And it's like. Uh, this is why I wanted to have you guys on is that, you know, my audience is is scrambling to figure out how do they preserve their purchasing power of their savings that are so hard fought, especially in an inflationary environment. And, you know, for Nick, who doesn't know, my, my background was in real estate. I was a real estate broker, uh, owned a mortgage company. And, and I think that this is probably the biggest concern for me is that because everything is predicated on debt and because I'm a libertarian and I have an Austrian economics background, I know that that's unsustainable. Um, ultimately, I feel as if there's no, there's, and, and now you have this totalitarian regime that's willing to freeze and seize assets. I have a lot of people that believe that purchasing real estate is a great investment. I personally think that it's an extraordinarily dangerous one because it's, it's entirely predicated on record low interest rates. If, if you had an interest rate hike, which the Federal Reserve could do, theoretically, I mean, they've promised it. I don't know if they ever fucking will. Uh, it would crush real estate. I mean, it would absolutely annihilate yeah. it because everybody is buying on such massive leverage. This is exactly what we saw in 0506 leading into the 0809 collapse. Uh, where, how do you We've, see it? We just passed, in? just real quick, um, sure. uh, We I think we're at like a 100-year high for housing starts. Um, yes. we, we passed recently, like last month, I think we passed 2007 high for the, just the amount of just sheer construction and, and as someone who is trying to remodel a basement right now and get cement down there and nobody's working, nobody's working right now. You nope. don't hear anything. It's been you banging you can't find and clamoring. Labor. You, the, the supplies are extraordinarily expensive. Uh, every it's single layer of the development cycle of real estate as a developer myself is outrageously overpriced. So like there is some underlying fundamental reasons that prices have increased but so much of it is based off of government i mean basically all of it's based off of government interference because you have the regulatory environment that tells you where you can or can't build and then you have the lockdowns which fucked up the supply chain which made material costs go up and then you have interest rates at record lows which makes borrowing easier it's just a perfect storm it's like you're and then you have blackrock and these other big boys that are coming in and buying up the real estate market and it's like that on on so many layers, this is a problem, and at, at the at all of it ends at the Federal Reserve's doormat, essentially. Uh, anyway, sorry, I threw a ton at you, Nick, but please hop in here. <laughs> oh, there, there's a lot there. You didn't even mention Fannie and Freddie, which are uh, inherently, um, you know, embedded into the cheap financing, right. um, you know, reason for for real estate. So, but I want to just put on my stars and stripes hat real quickly. Because we talked about BlackRock, ESG, we talked about Canada. So I do think that it is possible, much more possible in the European Union than in the United States, for the EU to make it illegal 
to buy bonds of a company that doesn't have a certain ESG rating. Mm. I think that that is a very, let's just say it's somewhat likely to happen in Europe over the next few years. That would never happen in the United States to the same effect it would in Europe, where Europe has this blinding green agenda that doesn't have any root in economics or anything like that. Whereas you look at American companies that are in the energy field looking to produce fossil fuels because the world is reliant on fossil fuels, like those basic truths that are, I really do feel like United States companies and citizens and states within the union are strong enough to resist that type of whole tyranny when it comes to, let's say, the funding markets, the bond market specifically, to think that the SEC would come and ban uh, uh, investors from purchasing bonds that are natural gas or and and crude oil exploratory, it just it's 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 very far fetched to me. Even though it does seem probable at some point in Europe because of the way that their politics are structured. Then another thing about the way that the Canadian government has seized money and frozen assets, to think that um, people in, let's say, red states could have that happen to them for supporting a political, a political cause that was, let's say, red-leaning in their own state with a, with a bank that is domiciled in their own state and regulated by their local Federal Reserve branch, let's say the Kansas City Fed or the Dallas Fed. It also seems very unlikely to me that that type of thing would happen in the US. So in this, and, and then one more thing about what Guy said with, we're gonna throw a million darts and, and figure this whole social media thing. Why do you think there are no social media companies in Europe? There are no, they don't have, they don't understand freedom anymore. I mean, let's just be honest. They don't really understand freedom over there. They understand the social unit because I'm not blaming them. It's just a nature of their history. They have thousands of years that have led them to that political leaning. We have a different leaning here in the United States because we've come to escape tyranny, uh, to escape a crown. And um, so I just, I want to just you know, I appreciate the optimism. my optimism <laughs> as, as an American in the United States. I do think there is a way um, that we can achieve all these things that we're talking about here today as Americans, um, that we can look at the rest of the world and say, hey, you guys are doing it wrong because you're still run in a parliamentary system where the queen has power. You guys are run by Brussels that you didn't elect anybody there. And, and, and you have a, uh, a, a monetary system in Europe that isn't related to your economy whatsoever, but just because it's basically Germany and what they feel like doing based off of their <laughs> own economy. So there's so many things that we can look to as both Bitcoiners and um, freedom-leaning people to, to say that United States is the home of the hope on these fronts and let's look to the rest of the world and say you're wrong because of x y and z and we're 
we're doing it better because we have we have we let people try fail and without stopping them from doing that or even communicating um to their countrymen well let, let me do a little minor pushback even though i genuinely and i'm not being sarcastic i really appreciate the optimism i fucking need it right now however after the past two <laughs> years uh i i had always believed that you know, property rights, broad-based property rights were sacrosanct in this country. Like, we did not intervene with that on a broad-based level. However, they had foreclosure and eviction moratoriums under the pandemic that essentially got rid of property rights for an extended period of time, over a year in many in many states. I never thought that that would be acceptable. And <clears throat> and it was. And it was accepted by the people. And, and my my counter to you is, under the right circumstances, and those circumstances are always led with fear and propaganda, it seems as if the American people are not willing to rise up to defend their property rights. Uh, and I don't know that that trend line can be reversed. I obviously hope that it can. Uh, do you think that the, the last two years didn't put some level of doubt in your mind that we can actually be that shining example on the Hill? So Clint, I'll show, share you a little bit about my background as well. I, I, um, I didn't have much optimism before Bitcoin from this perspective that we're talking about here, loss of property rights and, and all that kind of thing, um, especially with the backdrop of the Fed and uh, what I view as a wealth confiscation through the monetary system. And so my optimism has come back because of Bitcoin. That's what you're hearing in my voice. Um, but I'm not blind to the violations that are there. And I also think it should be expected that the federal government and state governments as well will try everything that they can to push their own agenda forward, which it could be securing the vote <clears throat> from somebody that would find protection under the eviction bans right? The mm -hmm. other side of the property. So they're right. trying to get their voters and, and, and all that. So my point is that I believe the voices and the spirit is still here, even though it might feel like there aren't a lot of us or not enough of us, or that you're even losing battle after battle and important ones. I still want to maintain the optimism that I think we have enough here to ultimately protect it um, if it's threatened, like, for example, the seizure of Bitcoin private keys with a, you know, something more sophisticated than a $5 wrench attack, something like an executive order 6102 that happened in 1933 with gold. So, right. you know, that's, that's really what the optimism is that we, we still, we still, we can't give up. Oh no! And, I, believe and, me, I, and, I wouldn't do this show if I was giving up, man. I, I'm with you. I, so I'm right there. I'll with tell you. you. I'll okay. tell you what, kind of where I think we are in all of this is we have a like Nick says is we have a much stronger cultural foundation for freedom, right. for understanding the value of a middle finger, and uh, God bless uh, the middle finger. I think God bless the middle finger, um, uh, and one of the things that i think it is almost necessary that you feel the most hopeless when you realize how big the problem is because you don't feel hopeless when you're ignorant of the problem true it's it's when the problem has been revealed that suddenly you're like 
damn, this looks awful. <laughs> but, you know, eight years ago, would we have been aware of how really how bad the situation is? And look at the cultural shifts just in like the last three or four years. Like the idea, go back to like 2013, 2014, the idea of politicians, like major people in the economy, uh, you know, major broadcasters talking about fiat money, specifically using the term fiat money, using the terms decentralization in the context of like, how do we secure liberty was unheard of was unheard of. It was, you might as well be, you might as well be talk, talking about marginal utility, economic like value. You, you know, like it's, it was, it was nerdy thing. Like people didn't even know the word. They like, he was like, do you use fiat money? And you're like, that the car has money. I don't understand what you mean. You know, like it was, it was simply not part of the consciousness. Look how much power there has been to put those things into the human consciousness, into our culture. And I think it's made people aware of just how bad things are, but I think that's an indication that things are moving in the opposite direction, that things are, that we're building momentum or uh, essentially we're building a foundation to resist against this. Yeah. You know, eight years ago, go back to like the early 2010s, a, a anti-woke tweet was suicide. Was suicide. Nobody was going to grieve you. Everybody's scared to death to say anything about it. Like it was never going to happen. That's true. When, when a culture becomes, you know, when things are easy, when things are nice, like let's go back to like when, like the the peak of American, of the the American like soft money or easy money regime was probably the '90s, right? Like that was kind of where everything was as easy as it could get. Nobody wants to rock the boat. Everything's working. Right. So if somebody accuses you of being evil or trying to cause problems or whatever, you go, oh, no, 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 no. What are you talking about? No, no, I'm not doing nothing. <laughs> no, it's okay. Cool. I love people. People, everybody's great. All colors, everything. You know, like you just excuse whatever the anger or the outrage is and you just walk back and you don't challenge it. Why? Because the boat's going along. Everybody's, everybody's happy. When we're in the middle of a storm, nobody gives a shit about rocking the boat anymore when it's apparent that everything is going to shit, that's when you stand up and you're like, no, I'm tired of this ESG bullshit. You know, I've put up with this for 15 years and I'm just not putting up with it anymore. This is a crime. This is literally a scam to just take control of all of our funds and what we invest in. This is bullshit. Being able to stand up and speak against that is the first step in actually fixing it. It's, it is the, it is the, I'm not going to let you take another inch sort of position. Um, and that is the kind of cultural awakening. I am extremely um, optimistic about the fact that people are waking up because people are having these conversations and being aware of what the problems were when or problems are when 10 years ago, trying to explain to people what the problem with fiat money is. Everybody's just like, ah, oh, that's bullshit. Nobody's going to freeze my account. Nobody's going to, you know, nobody, nobody cared. Nobody cared. It was just talking about j economics jargon. You were just a nor you were just a moron who wouldn't shut up at the party. That's all you were. You were just and a dork. Just you're a that dork. guy that you're, you're that guy that's dork. talking about treasury Q-sips all day. The hell? Yeah, what the hell? <laughs> shut up, dude. Sit down and play cards. Shut your mouth. Um, but uh, but I think that 
impact is an indication of how quickly things are moving. And most importantly, is the ability to defend yourself. Because if they can't defund everyone who has that opinion, if they can't just rug pull everyone who disagrees with them, which is what they want, because then you take all the teeth out of anybody disagreeing with you. If you cannot rug pull them, then you, you essentially can't stop that opinion from spreading. You can't stop people from standing up. And the easier that is, and when people like the trucker convoys, like, like some of the videos of interviewing some of these people, they're like, you know, like some dude in his truck or whatever is like, man, this is, this is my home. They took, they fired my kids. They, they took my livelihood from me. I got nothing left. What that, where the hell else am I going to go? I'm here until I get my freedom back because I got, I got nothing else. They already took it all. Imagine if that person had still had their nest egg, still had their funds, like that savings that were behind their keys and the ability to defend themselves so that they actually had the value that they have produced in the past. And it was not just subject to somebody writing some asshole politician signing a thing that says, oh, you don't own it anymore. Well, it doesn't matter if they don't have the keys. Yeah, you still you do own it. You do. It's yours. Um, the ability to defend that and to defend the lifestyle, defend the opinion, I think is the ultimate weapon. And we don't need a majority. We need an intransigent minority. We need 10% of the people to say, go fuck yourself. I'm done with this shit. And there is no amount of pushing that they can do. That, like, that the, the weight of that will end up tipping the scales. And I think that's where we need to push for. No, I, I agree. I mean, this is uh, my constant plea to my audience is to try and get yourself in a financial position of security so that you can be what the three of us are doing right now, that we are speaking yeah. out aggressively against what we see as a moral blight on society. I mean, this is absolute evil, what we're experiencing, but it's unless we're willing to call it what it is and talk about it openly and honestly, uh, the odds of us prevailing in this fight decrease exponentially. And and I really appreciate that there are people out there that are willing to to risk something because you are risking something by talking about these things, unfortunately. Uh, but obviously, you guys are are uh, self-custodians, so so hopefully you can uh, maintain your your courage in the face of this stuff. Uh, Nick, what do you think about the the trajectory of things? I know you're obviously optimistic, but it, it also feels to me as if they are, as as we've talked about a lot, that they they're willing to go as far as they have to to try and maintain their power. Uh, the CBDC rollout seems inevitable. What what is your view of CBDCs? I mean, I I, I can guess what your your view is of them, but what what do you think in, in terms of how they how they fare in the face of competing with Bitcoin and other currencies? They are inevitable, and I do think the European Central Bank will try to replace paper money over there. Um, I think that the Fed won't try to do that immediately, especially considering how many, uh, you know, Benjamins are abroad used for, um, you know, to keep the global economy going in, in a lot of ways. So there's a lot of ramifications there. So I, you know, a CBDC is coming in the United States as well. It will be used for financial surveillance. It'll also be used to modernize the uh, financial system and it can be used to 
bring a little bit more transparency to the leverage ratios inside the financial system. I think that that could be a benefit um, that nobody's really talking about. Um, but do you think the, that, do you think they'll make it open source where we can actually look at it? No, there's no way it'll be open source or <laughs> um, or open open contribution in any way. But uh, I won't be able to run a something... node. <laughs> well, well, yeah, I know, well, but I you... just meant like, will we actually know how much they're deploying? But guy, you might be able to Probably run not, no. a node from the perspective of someone who can observe, but not contribute or change anything, um, or even even. I would be surprised if I could. I okay. Yeah, and and yeah. and and that's and that's absolutely fair. Um, I, I think it's possible that one day we could get. Um, a live snapshot of the Fed's balance sheet instead of a weekly um, PDF that's sent around the internet. Little things like that that can modernize and can bring some credibility back to the Fed. They will try to do all of those things, um, but it doesn't it doesn't change the dynamics for Bitcoin in any way because Bitcoin is a neutral currency. It doesn't have any government attached to it. It's not by decree and it's not a, a liability on anybody's balance sheet. So Bitcoin continues to shine through every one of these marginal um, drivers like Canada, um, like Russia, Ukraine. There's, there's a marginal driver to Bitcoin every step of the way. And the CBDCs, as people see them, some people will say, okay, whatever. And some people will say, no fucking way. I'm going all Bitcoin and that's all you need really. And I, that's m my projection is we'll continue to see people find Bitcoin when they find dissatisfaction in a bank censoring them or, um, you know, a CBDC surveilling them. Well, I, I wanted to verify something with you guys. Cause I had on Amari Sachet and Tobias Ruck last week, and they were talking about the white paper. I think it was, uh, Chicago Fed for the CBDC. I, I, I could be wrong, but Boston. Um, uh, Boston. Okay, thank you. And, and and they said that there was a redeem option in the white paper where essentially they would be able to not just create as many new, you know, digital dollars as they want, but they could also, you know, with a snap of a finger or a press of a button, they could remove those units of currency from circulation without any record of them having existed. Is that true? Because if so, that's pretty fucking horrifying. Yes. Well, if it's centralized, and it necessarily yeah. is the case. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Well, I just, I just like, I, I mean, can't they don't imagine. even have to use like a, they don't have to use like a formal redeem script. Like if, if the server, if the spreadsheet, if the blockchain is on their servers, well, they can just go in and delete stuff. And they don't, they don't have to, they don't, they don't have to issue it as like a smart contract, which they probably will just for the sake of like, oh, it's, future tech but there, there's absolutely no reason and in fact i have i imagine there would be if we end up in a cbdc world which to some extent i think there will be like nick said like there is going to be push for that they're going to try to do that in i mean we already are technically china is doing yeah, it it's um, happening multiple different proposals um so but i highly suspect that there will be situations where they they go through all of the theater of using the redeem script, but then there are just accounts and people who just vanish, like who who don't get redeemed, don't get due process or any of it. Like 
it's it's just a facade because if they're running it on their servers and it's like them and the federal reserve banks it's like do you trust them to tell you the truth you they haven't we haven't audited the federal reserve and ever have we ever ever audited them nick i don't even Not know that i'm aware um no and you, you so, won't be able to like it won't be it won't have to go through subpoena the bank or whatever it's just it's a switch and it goes off instantly so it, yeah. it accelerates their ability to um to restrict yeah well i mean with that knowledge it becomes almost a life and death struggle in, in my opinion it's like it that is so that is so catastrophic if if people if there's actual widespread adoption of this thing which i think there will be because people unfortunately uh, the majority of people are just not privy to what kind of threat that they're under um obviously as guys said we only need 10% of in, intransigent you know psychos like us that are are willing to to fight back against all odds um but if you have you know say 70% of the world that's now on cbdc's and and the central bank along with the local government there is able to just strip them of all of their assets if they rise up in any meaningful fashion sometimes not even meaningfully they could just do it uh, if you're just speaking out on social media, they could theoretically do it. Uh, it gets into a really Orwellian dystopic future very, very rapidly. Um, do you think that we're going to have a, kind of a, a conflict or a tipping point where this actually comes to a head? Where it's like, I, I, I mean, obviously these things are already clashing. You already have decentralized currencies that are are colliding with you know the central banks of the world that are trying to uh, adapt and adopt the technologies that we've created uh do you think that there's like a, a a conflict point where it actually could go somewhere very dark or is it just kind of a slow progression where one of them wins out over time i i just don't i can't my crystal ball is blurry on this like how, how does it play out any ideas you know um with with a Fed coin, uh, it's going to take a long time for it to gain traction, and that is its own little battle to to think about what other uh, central bank digital currencies are going to gain prominence. It's really tough to project that sort of thing, especially when you think about transparent or not, viewable or not. Um, forget open source; that's never happening <laughs> at a central bank level. But um, you know there'll be distributed ledgers. How distributed will they be? Um, that might affect FX markets in the future and how you know uh, investors are treating, let's say, CAD versus Aussie or you know things like that. So um, it's, it's, it's way too early to, to predict those types of things, how they'll compete with each other. What we do know is that they're coming and um, the ECB will take one route and America will take a different one and um we'll watch them unfold what do you think guy so um i mean i think without a doubt we'll we'll move in that direction but i think from just kind of a economic like a, a foundational economics perspective and then as well as a philosophical philosophical perspective i think what ends up happening is even if I think we'll just have divergence that will have essentially two different economies and one will be the official economy and one will be the unofficial and increasingly the problem with CBDCs, obviously the, 
the moral problem, the significant problem, which I, I consider the more valuable problem, the bigger deal, is the moral one, is someone having total power over another person's life, over whether or not they rent a house, I mean, they, they, where they can rent an apartment or they can buy a house or they have any money at all in their banking account and whether or not they're too carbon unfriendly, whatever the hell that means, and that this makes their credit worthiness go down and then their social credit score gets hit and they can't get on a train. Like, I think that is a disgusting moral problem. But ultimately, it's also an economic problem. Ultimately, it's an ability to actually align with reality. You're looking at a politically manipulated economy. It will not produce. It will be a, it will be a bullshit fake economy. They will be chasing carbon credits rather than prosperity. So it's, I think a good analogy is uh, production. Like they will simply not be responding to the reality of the economic situation and the economic goods available. They will be responding to political whim. I think that's where we are. I think that's what our economy is doing right now. We have massive multi-billion dollar companies that don't produce shit that run losses year after year. I don't think that is sustainable without heavy, like fundamental, like systemic manipulation of the price of money. I think that's the only reason it exists. And all of it would collapse. I, I think I think the fact that the stock market collapsed when the Fed mentioned raising rates 25 basis points maybe later in the year is an indication that there's nothing underneath any of this shit. It's none of it's real. Like we're either going to have a currency collapse or a massive credit crisis. Like there's no other way you can't, uh, what's Greg Foss says, you can't taper a Ponzi. We're, the whole economy is a Ponzi scheme. And so the example uh, I like to think of, the analogy I like to pull is from uh, the Soviet Union, is that people were predicting that the Soviet Union was gonna be the greatest power, greatest economic power in the world. Um, there were Time Magazine articles for crying out loud talking about how Russia has finally, or excuse me, the Soviet Union has finally figured out how, or has proven that a planned economy works. Like it was, they were literally saying that the the socialist and Keynesian ideal of trying to micromanage your economy is actually successful. But as you got towards the end of the Soviet Union, the black market, the gray market was outproducing the official market. The only reason the thing survived as long as it did is because they were basing their planned economy off of prices from the U.S. from from the action from from a free market elsewhere. Because how do you pr- how do you price a car if you don't just what, what the hell are you going to do? You're going to get a group of experts together who says it should be roughly twelve thousand seven hundred dollars. Like you you can't price it without input from the actual economy. And if that input is meaningless, if you're manipulating the thermometer, you have no idea what fucking temperature it is outside. You know, and that's the that's the whole idea. Because there's no price discovery. Uh, because there's no price discovery. So the only reason it survived as long as it did is because they were using other economies' price discovery to attempt to implement it in their economy, and because the actual production was happening in the black market, and the or the black and gray markets, and eventually, like literally months after everybody says oh this is going to be the thing and it's proving that this works the whole thing just collapsed right the whole thing just went up in smoke and it just vanished and i think 
I, I think CBDCs are destining themselves, like are destined to be in that situation. The more they manipulate it, the more they manage it for their power rather than for being sound, a better monetary good, the more they just push themselves into obscurity. And the more the bifurcation between a real economy that has real money like Bitcoin and a fake economy that has political money, uh, the, the greater that chasm grows between them until it's just kind of like, it's like the church is today. Like the church was once the ultimate power. They were the source of truth. They told you what God said and you were going to be killed if you didn't listen to what God said. And then suddenly they just kind of became the church. And it's a tremendous metaphor. I had never looked at it like that. Thank you. <laughs> and now it's just like, oh, it's a religion and we argue about it and everybody has their own. And it's like, you know, it's it's just bullet. It's whatever it is. Right. Man, if, but if no we can get government to be as, as irrelevant as the church, I would that would be huge progress, man. I genuinely think like that is a, a good analogy because right now the government appears to be the source of ownership. It appears to be the source of property rights. Even when I argue with people, they tell me, oh, well, how would you have property rights if you don't have government? It's like, no, they have nothing to do with it. They're the greatest violators of property rights. Property rights are derived from self-ownership. And Bitcoin essentially proves this because if I can hold a secret, there's nothing they can do. Mm -hmm. They can kill me and they won't get my Bitcoin. Right. Because if they don't have the keys, Bitcoin, Bitcoin assumes I own myself, I own my thoughts. And if they can't get into it and they can't take it, Bitcoin doesn't give a shit. If it's not got a valid key, it, nobody takes it. And I think it kind of undermines philosophically what the printing press did to the church is that, oh, well, you can have your own journey to figure out what God is. Um, and in this sense, you can have property that's not, it's got nothing to do with the state. The state yeah, is irrelevant to my ownership of Bitcoin. That's a fascinating way of viewing it. I, I wanted to, to get Nick's perspective on this because uh, the for my audience's understanding, what's what's happening is essentially via uh, pressure globally from other governments and central banks, they are they are using mechanisms to do what they did to the to the Canadian truckers. They're now doing that to Russia and, and all of the Russian oligarchs and and Russian banks. Obviously, they're not touching the banks that that process the the funding for oil and gas purchases because that's the only fucking thing we need from Russia. But they're doing it to everything else, and and they're kicking them off SWIFT, which is the uh, the payment processing system, which is uh, essentially they're using their nuclear weapon of financial warfare against Russia. At least that's my read of things. Maybe you can uh, explain if you think that's overstated, and also uh, what that means for. The, the dominance of the dollar moving forward, because as we see fiat globally kind of under threat from cryptocurrencies more broadly, I think we're also seeing the US dollar on its last legs and, and being used as such, as opposed to using hot warfare, they're using uh, you know economic warfare. So go ahead and hop yeah. in wherever you think you could add to this, Nick. Yeah, the, the restrictions are really interesting right now because we see that Russia has been preparing this for many uh, for many years, basically. They have positioned themselves with bilateral swap lines with um, China. They have a you know, separate financial rail for settlement with Europe. So you know, the SWIFT restriction might not have the same effect that the US thinks it will on in destroying Russia or, or affecting them in a negative way. Um, 
but it also shows that Bitcoin isn't ready to step in today as the financial rails that will facilitate Russian trade with the rest of the world today fully. It's just not there. It's not big enough. And um, even though infrastructure is there uh, to use it, the, the size and the preparation hasn't been done with the Bitcoin rail because you can't just pop in and use Bitcoin. You have to have Bitcoin, have a node, have a provider, et cetera, to, to engage in the protocol. So um, we're, still, we're still some ways away from seeing Bitcoin step in, but these restrictions are reminding, again, the marginal user, maybe not in Russia or Europe or, the, or North America, but countries in Latin America and Africa that are watching this from afar and saying, we need to have backups to SWIFT we need to have some Bitcoin. We need to have expertise at the node level. I saw central banks in Africa are hiring, you know, experts that are Bitcoin native programmers to try to understand the protocol better and, um, you know, plan rails around that. So, um, and and Clint, I really apologize, but I do have to run here. Um, oh, it's but, fine. Well, know, I was going to wrap yeah. right now. So go ahead and, and uh, <laughs> tell people where they can follow you. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, it's layeredmoney.com for all of my links. My book is called Layered Money. My Substack publication, The Bitcoin Layer, is linked at my website as well as my social media, my Twitter, and uh, and um, links to the book on different platforms. So everyone can find me and all my links at layeredmoney.com. And thanks a lot, Clint, for having me. Great to Absolutely. see you too, guy. Yeah, make sure you guys go follow Nick, pick Later, up his man. book, and, and subscribe to his Substack. This man's brilliant. Thank you, Nick. Have a good one. Take care, guys. Good. Now if we got that nerd out of here to, that, uh, that understands stuff right? better than us. God, what a doofus. <laughs> now, if you haven't, um, I love you, if Nick. You haven't read, if you haven't read Layered Money, um, you definitely should. I did the audiobook for it and um, honored to have done the audiobook for it. But it is, it is a phenomenal, it is a phenomenal book. It's like a walk through history of basically when we started using money substitutes um mm -hmm. back in the 15th or, or 16th century in the 1500s um like kind of like the amsterdam burst was like the first um exchange where essentially there was this this festival this like where countries from all over the world would get together and they would basically do their trading or whatnot in substitutes of stocks and like all of this stuff um, and, and basically, basically laying out the history of when money became a layered system and, uh, and how that evolved and why we ended up with fiat almost by necessity, by a, a limitation of the technologies of money that we had and why Bitcoin is actually a fundamental shift in the, the bottom layer that it is not, everybody thinks that this, this thing up at the top, oh, it's this, this new internet toy that we can have Visa or we can use Bitcoin. It's a payments app. No, it is fundamentally a new monetary consensus. It is a digital monetary good, and it is going to have its own layer that builds alongside the current monetary structure. Um, and that's what that's what we're seeing, really. Um, and uh, it's fascinating. It's a fascinating book. It's so good. Well, I'm going to pick so it I'll, up I'll, today. I'll show his shit. I highly recommend everyone pick it up because, uh, yeah, clearly the, we need to understand this stuff in a very deep way. I think that the... Uh, my, my hope is that because this is so nefarious, because it's such a threat 
to anybody that wants like you don't even have to be a huge fan of freedom <laughs> to just be like I don't I don't want someone to have control it's looking bad it's looking over bad. what I can <laughs> say what I can buy where I can travel like like at th these are very fundamental human desires to be able to do that you can so, just like, be freedom be adjacent and, yes, and exactly. it makes sense why you don't want this yeah, even the Republicans yeah, might a, might get why this is a problem. <laughs> no, I'm, just, I'm great, just talking shit, a, Republicans. <laughs> there's a great um, uh, and I don't know where I heard this. Um, and I don't know if this is exactly how I heard it, but I said it on the show, and a bunch of people have been like, "Oh, that's a really good quote." Um, but to try to explain to people who don't understand the problem with political power, because it's always framed in this idea of but these are the good guys you know the <laughs> the the underlying implication of all of it the assumption is that the government must be the good guy even though in history they've like almost never been i don't understand how we still fall for the same propaganda over and over again but regardless under that presumption them having power to stop bad things which is always the always the narrative seems perfectly logical but the anything that a politician, the, re, the realization of what power is and that someone can unilaterally use this and that you have to assume that they are the good guy and that if they are the bad guy, suddenly there's a huge problem. Anything that a politician you love can do to somebody you hate is something that a politician you hate can do to somebody you love. Powerful. And if you don't think, if you don't flip that coin over and realize what the cost of setting up these systems are, you're going to find yourself in the latter situation and you're gonna feel hopeless. You're gonna feel hopeless and you're gonna feel like somebody has total and unbelievable command over your life and your choices and anything and everything you do, and you're gonna fucking hate it. You're gonna wonder how you got here, and it's gonna be your fault. It's gonna be your fault because you did not know what the hell you were letting happen. What you were watching them build the whole time and you supported it because it was built by somebody you agreed with. But it will be used by someone you disagree with. Yep. Read, read Solzhenitsyn, folks, if, if you don't believe Guy. Yeah. He, wrote a he wrote a really lengthy book about how you should fucking pay attention to this stuff. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I agree. And and I, like I said, though, that, that's reason for hope because as they, they strangle more and more people, more and more people have to realize what kind of a threat they're under. Uh, speaking of threats, I, I feel remiss not to, to ask you about the Russian-Ukrainian situation. I know this is very outside of, of the topic at hand, but I think that it's important uh, largely because, and the reason I brought this up when Nick was on is that, you know, they're, they're using these same mechanisms of control to try and strangle Russia. You know, that's, that's what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And, and they have all of these tools at their pleasure to be utilized on us individually too. And I think that it's important yeah. that people realize that, you know, like if they can do this to a nuclear power <laughs> and you think yeah. that they can't do it to you, what the fuck are you thinking? Like, they can do it to somebody you hate. They can do it to somebody you love. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Right. 
but but I'm saying I'm saying if they can do it to someone that can kill every man, woman, and child on the country, on the planet, then they can certainly, they can do, certainly it to do it to you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so so I just think that it's really important that people realize that you know whatever you feel about the Russian Ukrainian crisis is kind of secondary to the point I'm trying to make. The point is they are doing it to a nuclear power and. They can do it to you, and your life is on the line based off the decisions that they are making when it comes to the financial warfare that they're taking against nuclear power. And they are making Russia align itself with China, our alleged biggest enemy. And they're, they're expediting the bifurcation or the divide, the bipolarization of the, the fiat system, as long as that sustains itself, where you have the the Swiss system and the U.S. dollar hegemony versus whatever it becomes, the digital yuan or the ruble or however they play this on their side of things. But they are they are essentially reigniting the Cold War, which is seems kind of oxymoronic, reigniting since there's a flame. But anyways, you get my point. Um, how does this how does this play out, man? <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ, uh, I have no idea. I feel for the people of Ukraine. Um, I feel like. I feel like NATO and the U.S. has been using them as puppets to start this shit for a long time um, because they know Putin is just a tyrant um, and he's going to defend his border. And the U.S. has been trying to get like for 20 years, you know, they've been trying to creep their military and like make sure that they have control over who's running Ukraine. And of course, Russia is going to come and just bomb them all. And the citizens are going to pay for all this fucking political theater that's going on up top. Um, and it's it's always, it's always innocent people who pay for the price, pay the price of political bullshit. Um, yep. But, uh, and you know, it's the, it's the thing to focus on now because, you know, they're quietly trying to roll out digital IDs in Canada. Um, a lot of states have gotten on board with the, um, the digital ID. The smart, smart Pass, I think. Yeah, I can't remember the company. I just read it like two hours ago. Um, <laughs> but okay. there's some other company and like even some of the red, like even some of the quote unquote freedom states oh, yeah. are getting on board with this thing. Like it's insane. Um, well, th this is the and problem. So I think with, this is like the proper distraction. That this is the problem with having any faith in the in the GOP is that basically it yeah, just no, makes the it no. makes the populace there more docile because they believe that they're mm -hmm. safe because they have a republican governor but in truth oftentimes they'll roll out it's or action. even more egregious yeah. things. right yeah yeah it's just appealing this is just appealing to the rhetoric they want to hear um uh without standing up for shit um they just they just they're reactionary um and uh, largely useless but at least their rhetoric is fun. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I mean, but, uh, I, I certainly enjoyed Trump's rhetoric. <laughs> yeah, um, but uh, yeah. How does this play out? I don't. I don't have a, the slightest clue. Um, you know, trying to predict. I, I like I said, like Majid talked about in that episode, which I think is just absolute fire. I need to listen to it again. Actually, um, is that we're going through a fourth turning? It's going to be an utter mess. But ultimately, I think the technology is pushing in our favor. It doesn't have to. It doesn't have to. If we don't use it, if we don't defend ourselves, um, if we don't build the systems and use the systems that defend our... And it doesn't take a lot. You know, it's not that hard to be a techie. And it's cool. You know, you have this weird 
like alternative economy, like where you have this degree of freedom that the traditional person does not, that the average person doesn't have. Um, and all, all you have to do is learn a couple of basic tools. Um, but uh, ultimately, I think, I think the trend is in our favor. And I think it is continuing to push in that favor. And thank God for Bitcoin, because I think that is such, such a critical piece of this whole puzzle. Um, and uh, being able to communicate value without intermediaries is critical to organizing outside of political permission. Um, you know, like we can share our opinion all day, but if we cannot act or put our value behind that opinion, then it's largely meaningless. It's like saying that you can love whoever you want, but you're going to marry who we say. You know, like it, it doesn't really, there's no teeth to freedom of speech if you can't freedom of transact at the same time. Um, and, uh, but luckily I'm, I'm optimistic. I'm optimistic. I think, I think this is going to work out um, in the long run. I think the push is toward decentralization. When a technology gets invented, it cannot be uninvented. You know, um, we will we will progress in our messy, psychotic, scrambling, teeth scratching, biting way that humanity does, and we will find a better place. And we will bitch and moan about where we have found ourselves and all of the problems that are there because we'll be used to the fact that we already fixed these other problems, but it will be a better place. <laughs> oh, and man. we will drag all the dependent submissive bitches along with us and they will have a better future, whether they like it or not. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. <laughs> well, hey, that, that's a great way to, to cap it off. I, uh, as guys said, you know, adopt these technologies, use them in your defense. It's, it, I mean, we talked about a lot of really dark shit, but, uh, I think it says a lot that the two guys that were on this show that are the most optimistic are the ones that own more Bitcoin than I do. So uh, maybe <laughs> that's evidence. That's evidence of of the value proposition in in such. And uh, I hope that people learned a lot here. I, I still feel as if there's going to be a ton of questions as to what people should do to protect their assets. I think. Diversification is key. I, if you're not diversifying to some extent, as much as I'm a, a, a fan of Bitcoin, I think that it's important that you have not just digital assets, but hard assets as well. Uh, I'm a fan of that. Uh, if you possess them, though, you need to possess them. You, you know, not not your um, gold bricks, not your gold bricks. <laughs> so, so uh, make, not make in sure your you, sure you... not in your closet, not your gold bricks. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. There you go. Got to come up with a new catchy uh, moniker. Anyways, if you want to learn more about Bitcoin, obviously you can check out Nick Batia's book. Uh, follow him on Twitter at time value of BTC and pick up his book, author of Layered Money. You can get it on Amazon and make sure you listen to Guy Swan on Bitcoin Audible and Shitcoin Insider to figure out what you should or should not be buying or at least understand it better. Uh, follow him on Twitter at the Guy Swan with two N's. Is there anything else you'd like to tell the people? Uh, no, just, um, well, I, I will say that the only way out of this, there is no way to attack or fight. Uh, there is no way to destroy our way out of this situation. We have gotten create. into this situation because we have 
bled ourselves of resources. We have stripped the economy of value and of savings, and we have indebted ourselves to the liability of another person's debt over and over and over again. The only way out of this is to build. If we all, if we all took 10 minutes a day to learn the proper tools and devote just understanding, just trying to help, just spreading the word on a solution, any solution that helped you get a little bit of freedom back in your life, we'd win. We'd win. All we have to do is build our way out of this. And that is what Bitcoin and the, the whole ecosystem is doing. And it is about making sure we build the right things and in the right way. And we just need help. We need hands. We need eyes. We need ears. We need, we need mouths. We need people to speak it and share it and download it. <laughs> yeah. um, and we will find ourselves in a better place. I really do. I really think we do it. I, we, I really think we will. Well, as, as Guy says, 10 minutes a day and we can win. Go to the Bitcoin <laughs> Audible and fucking listen so that we can oh, win. Oh, that's the please. most fucking shilly shit. I mean, 10 minutes a day and we will have freedom. Four hours no, a week. I think it's true, oh, though. I God. mean, it's it's all about, uh, you know, aggregate labor. If we put it all together, we could actually get some real shit done. So anyways, thank you so much for coming on, Guy. It was uh, extremely educational and surprisingly optimistic and hopeful. So I appreciate that, man. Yeah. Absolutely. Always, man. Good hanging out, Clint. Well, I hope you guys feel as if you learned a lot. I certainly did. Uh, well, I think this is like what my show does. Every time we get into a topic, I get scared to death and then I get hopeful and then I get scared to death again and then I get hopeful. So uh, I hope that the, the teeter-totter of emotions that Liberty Lockdown takes you on uh, doesn't dissuade you or un, you know demotivate you from being in this fight. I think it's the most important fight in the history of humanity. And I mean that. So while it's daunting and sometimes it's intimidating and scary, ultimately it doesn't matter. We don't have a choice. We're in it, like it or not. So you can be part of the problem, part of the solution. Shout out Dave Smith. Uh, by the way, I was on a panel with Dave Smith in uh, in Florida this past weekend at the uh, the convention and at that, I got to basically talk about messaging tactics. Uh, Dave was very kind. It gave me an incredible shout out on part of the problem. I just wanted to thank him for that. And I wanted to thank all of the people that shared that clip. Uh, a lot of people saw it and I really appreciate that. It was like 20,000 views or something crazy. So I really appreciate that you guys are, are so supportive of my work, of my passion. And I know that you share in that. I want you to feel as if you're sharing in any semblance of uh, success I have with this, because it, as I've said many times, I believe that this is our fight and it's our fight of our lives. So uh, any any help you can provide in, in boosting the message to let people know about what I'm doing and about what we're doing together to try and fight back, I think it's really valuable and important. So I just wanted to say thank you as always. If you really enjoy my show and you wanna support my work, by the way, new designs, they're incredible. Go to toplobsta.com, that's L-O-B-S-T-A, and pick up some new designs. They are really, really sick. Like I, I got all of them at uh, from Top at uh, the LP Florida convention, and people are loving them. So I hope you guys will, will pick some up. Also, if you really are a fan of the show and you want to support me uh, more broadly, you can go to libertylockdown.locals.com and become a supporting member. I am going to be, a do, be doing an AMA where 
you can actually come on stream with me and ask me any questions you have about the financial future, the uh, geopolitical risk, everything that's going on. Uh, I think it's going to be uh, definitely a lot of value in this this upcoming one because a hell of a lot has changed with the potential for world war. Uh, so I will be happy to do that in the coming weeks. And also tomorrow, I will be doing a live stream with Laura Logan. What? And Scott Horton, double what? So those two combined on live stream talking about Ukraine and Russia situation. I, it could get contentious. I, maybe they'll agree on everything, but I seriously doubt it. Laura has been a CBS war reporter for like a decade. She now works for Fox News. Uh, Scott, we all know and love. He's probably the greatest living historian when it comes to the Afghanistan and Iraq wars. And I think that this is just going to be amazing. Amazing. So tell your friends, tell your family. Make sure you don't miss that one. Big shout out to everybody that's been with me since Jump Street. Appreciate y'all. Welcome to Liberty Lockdown, please scan your barcode Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold Where did it come from and where did it go? It requires a fight, not tweet from your phone Don't need a king, get him off the fucking throne If you're riding with the thought, you've always got a home The virus is scared of, will come and it'll go The government knows, just don't get treated like a hoe Like Nico and Shane, you probably wonder what's happening Scared Hollywood lefties lyrical feffinin' A typo in Luke might bring the nooses We all bite the bullet, I'm the king of the gooses Freckles and Brit, didn't know I could spit Knew I was a patriot, but now I'm the shit Peter Quinones, invite me on Which podcaster sends custom songs Part of the problem, now I stand with the people Dave showed the way, but I am unequal Lions of Liberty, now hear me roar Beat running up, but I got a bit more Robbie the Fire, always running his mouth But I made him a sandwich, now I'm man of the house The malice for Nick, but you're welcome to quit A win over BLM with the fire I spit Friends against government, just call us fags Copy the Cairo, put mummies in the bag Liable opinions get thrown on the ground Silky's Mouton was the only sound Getting so hot must be air July Screaming in the mic and rip for 59 Miles to ratio that black guns matter Now all these lefties got crazy small bladders None of us wanted war but we're ready You know I be bopping and rock steady Liberty lockdown, please scan your barcode Your liberty ain't gone but yeah it's on hold Where did it come from and where did it go It requires a fight, not tweeting from your phone Don't need a king, get him off the fucking throne If you're riding with the thought, you've always got a home The virus is scared of, will come and it'll go The government knows, so don't get treated like a hoe